0: Gentlemen, we are on lockdown. <laughs> uh, it's okay though, because we're going to keep talking baseball no matter what. That's Arm laden And but we're joined with Colby Olsen because we got to talk Red Sox stuff. We got to talk about all the remaining moves. But first, we're on lockdown. Is it the end of the world? I don't think so, but I really want to go over it with you guys. But first, it's Friday. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing
1: well. I mean, it's, I woke up this morning, just kind of like, you know, there's that level of excitement the last few days where you knew that if you woke up or anytime you looked at your phone, that there was a chance that something happened and that was cool. And that was super exciting. And now I just know that if I check my phone, it's only going to be something stupid that Rob Manfred said, or a complaint from Tony Clark, or just meeting ended after seven minutes. And it's just like, now I'm just so much less excited. My screen time might be down. That might be good. Uh, and I'm just diving into prospects now, but uh, it, it, we're gonna have a lot of fun. I think it's it's a really awesome time for us to to dig into the creativity and we're gonna have a lot of fun episodes moving forward and, and a lot of discourse on this. But it is crazy going from 100 to zero
0: in terms of the free agency and, and that side of things. Seven minutes, I can't believe it, but Colby, you're a resident Red Sox guy, a resident numbers guy. And somewhat of
2: a genius. I mean, I'm definitely smarter, but <laughs> how you doing, brother? Always good to see you, Mister Humble Pete. Um, I'm doing good, man. I mean, it was a crazy last minute trade that went down last night. But before we get into that, I am wearing a Barry Bonds Pittsburgh Pirates jersey, and you might ask why. Well, why? we are not allowed to show the image and likeness of current players. So I thought let's wear something from the olden times. I love it because it's <laughs> that's that's dumbest shit ever. What are they doing? All the, all the faces are blacked out on MLB.com.
0: What are they trying to do as if like, Oh no, the MLB isn't real until we come to a deal. What yeah. The,
1: play, the players are basically like you, you better not use our face. You better not use our name and likeness. If you're not going to agree to a deal with us, which honestly, from the player's perspective, I understand it a little bit because of just how little the owners are willing to budge. So it's like, if you're not going to budge, well, you better not sell our jerseys. You better not do anything uh, as it pertains to us. But at the same time, it's like, you go to MLB.com right now. And if you wanted to find an article relevant to to anything going on, like we're not even making this up. If you haven't seen this legitimately, go to MLB.com. It's only articles that have to do with players who are retired or just nothing to do with players who are currently active. It could just be like, this guy built a baseball field in his backyard. Check this story out. Like, they're going to be grasping for straws so hard that it's going to be a bit, honestly. I'm going to start monitoring MLB.com and just the craziest stories that they run because I know they're
0: going to run some crazy shit. Like, I'm Dude, ready for the weirdest Orbit. shit. They took off the Astros mascot Orbit. Is he, he might be the key to all this now that I think
2: about it. Orbit it is Orbit. the Astros. He's pissed question. also. I was explaining the whole process to my stepmom earlier today, and she was just like, This is wild. It's wild stuff. I showed her that their images weren't there, and I was explaining the whole process. People are interested in this outside of the baseball world because. It's almost not baseball at this point. It's a battle of politics. Yeah, it absolutely is. Absolutely. I mean, look
1: at Rob Manfred. I mean, Rob Manfred's not even not even a baseball guy, right? He's a labor attorney. That's how he always was. And he packed his way into this job by the way he was able to help the owners in 94. And he's a really good labor attorney. He's not even a baseball fan. He said that himself. So I think that's pretty clear. And by the way, I pulled up MLB.com and it says Great reads baseball road trip locations in all 50 States. We found them Is this is the next one. We found them. They're the worst team ever. And then we, they had one career at bat and one career hit. And then my favorite one is she struck out Ted Williams and Hank Aaron. (laughs) Dude there. Could you imagine being just like in the collab room right now, like wherever they brainstorm shit and they're just like, what do we do? Like, you what have to do? write about baseball, but you can't write about the major league players.
0: Okay. KBO is about to go nuts or the MPB. We got to start covering that because, I mean, I'm seeing things like I just saw a video today where it was Barry Bonds, you know, bringing up the pirate stuff. Oh, I did see that video. It was Barry Bonds where guys are jumping off trampolines. There's two players, like, one of them's going to throw a pitch at Barry Bonds and he kept sending it out of the park. And I saw that on TikTok and from TikTok. We're getting a lot of comments of a lot of people very worried if we're even going to have a season. So I kind of just want to touch on that for a bit, like what the lockout means for baseball, what it means. Is it's a freeze on trades and signings of all major league players, but there's no communication between the teams and players on their minor league rosters and the winter meetings were canceled. Usually where Brian Cashman chooses to cook him and the rest of the GMs don't get that opportunity this winter. But it doesn't mean the games are canceled. The pressure I don't think will really mount until, I mean, Colby, you and I were talking about this. It could go into February. You guys
2: think it might go into spring training. How long do you think this is going to last, Colby? Well, so I was, I was doing some research on past lockouts and work stoppages earlier today. And there have been nine in MLB history. Every single time, each of them nine times, the stoppage went into spring training at least. So I believe that this stoppage is at least going to go maybe into spring training. I hope we don't lose games at the very least. I mean, that would just be detrimental to baseball and the interest level. I mean, they lost $3 billion in 2020, 2019 was their best year ever. They made 10 billion. So when you're thinking getting fans interested, 2021 was a great year. I feel like everyone was really into baseball. It was an amazing competitive year. And now, if we're gonna lose that interest level again, that's just detrimental. I mean, what do you think about it, Arm?
1: Yeah, I. You bring up two really good points, and I'm I was gonna bring up anyway. So I'm glad you teed that up because there's like the rational mind where you're like, okay, they obviously lost a lot of money. No matter how much it was, I know the owners. Cried poor. I don't think they lost as much as they said they did, but regardless, they lost money. No one was buying
0: tickets to games. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. They claimed arm um, 3.1 billion. Yeah. Is that the correct number? We No know. shot.
1: No shot. Because it's it, it, to, to me, the equivalent is and I'm not. I don't like to get political, but like it's the equivalent of of Trump saying I'm a billionaire, but I won't show you my tax returns. Like if you're going to cry about how much you lost, but not show it and just strategically leak stuff, then I'm not going to buy it. But what I will buy is that they lost money. And so did the players. Right. Because they got prorated salaries. So everybody lost money. So everybody stands to lose again here in, in 2021 or 2022. Excuse me, if they don't have a season. And that's where I'm looking at it like, okay, every game you lose is more money lost. Baseball really headed in the right direction. I think we saw playoff ratings up. I think, you know, a World Series matchup that, by a ratings perspective, was was a terrible matchup, I thought did well relative to the two markets. Like, there's a lot of good things. Local uh, TV ratings were up. You want to build on that momentum. So, rationally thinking, you'd be like, okay, they're going to try to find a way to get a deal done. But I also could just see it as like they're not even going to think about that. I just think they're so caught up in in everything that they want to get sorted out. and, And all of the it's just so contentious and so ugly that I'm afraid that we might get far away from the reasonability of just both sides lose here. If you don't agree. Right. Like if both sides don't come to an agreement, it's not like one side ends up better off than the other. Everybody loses and the fans and us lose the most. So it's really a shame. And I wonder how much, you know, reasonability is going to creep in here. And I'm afraid it might not be
0: that much. And Colby, to your point that this has happened before, it hasn't happened in 26 years. But I want to take you all through a timeline of all the lockouts that have ensued in Major League Baseball. In 1972, we had a 13-day strike, which did affect the regular season. In 1973, we had a lockout that only affected spring training. 76, same story there. Lockout, spring training only. 1980, same story. Except it was a strike this time. And it affected spring training. In 81, we again had a 53-day strike that affected the regular season. And in 1985, we had a two-day strike affecting the regular season. 1990 lockout, pushing opening day back, but the season was ended up playing in full. They went all 162. And then we know the big one, 1994 to 1995, there was a 232 day strike and it ended up canceling the 1994 playoffs. I remember the Montreal Expos were in that. Now they're the Washington Nationals. Uh, So we've seen this before and I agree with you, Colby. I really do think that 99.9% of my body is saying that we're not going to miss any regular season games, but I just don't trust these people, dude. I don't trust Manfred. I don't trust these owners. Why are you flying in for seven minutes? That pissed me off. Yeah. I didn't really give you guys a question. I'm just angry.
1: I don't trust Tony Clark either though. Like, I, yeah, like, I don't trust it. I don't trust any of these. I don't think, I don't think Tony Clark is the right guy either because it, we have to be fair here. And and yes, the, the owners are definitely the side that needs to give the most by, by at least what I think. Uh, but I also think that the the players have not really eloquently laid out what they actually want. And that's all stems from Tony Clark. I'm not sure Tony Clark is the guy. Uh, and, and we saw this in 2020. I think this was the warning of, of what we were going to see here. They couldn't agree on anything in 2020. We were able to kind of just kick the can down the road and here we are again. And it just seems like Clark isn't the right guy. He doesn't have a great relationship with the owners at all. I know it's usually going to be contentious, but Clark just has not done a good job of laying out what they want. And it seems like both sides just are yelling at each other and neither is listening. And that's where you're just wasting time. And I think that's why seven minutes ended up being seven minutes. But at that point, it's, it's those kind of headlines that I think will start to get people worried. And start to lose people. It's not no progress has been made towards a deal. It's the it's the detail in it of like they sat down seven minutes later, they're gone. Like, what is this? Yeah, th- is this? this is a joke.
2: That's that's theatrics to me. That's all that is. I don't think they have a solution. I think that's the problem. I don't think that the players really have a way that they're going to be happy. So I was reading an, um, an article from Buster Only today saying that the second and third tier veterans and free agents are really going to suffer the most here. Um, the average contract for a mid-tier free agent in 2014 was $12 million a year. Today, or in 2020, for that matter, $6.2 million. And there was a great quote from an agent called uh, named Seth Levinson. Um, And he said, if the new CBA allowed more players to attain arbitration or free agency status at earlier stages in their careers, it would accomplish very little without pressure points requiring clubs to pay. A lower threshold for arbitration eligibility will will result in more players being non-tendered. And the consequence for players reaching free agency at five years instead of six years will be the market will be flooded with more free agents and there will be less money to go to those players. So I don't think they have a solution. It's just that the best players are going to get bigger contracts and those mid-tier guys are going to get screwed over.
0: That's such a good point, Colby, because we consider – We think that the market is so high. Corey Seager signs a 10-year, $325 million deal. Robbie Ray, Kevin Gosman, Javier Baez, Marcus Stroman, everyone's Max Scherzer's getting paid 43 million a year as a 37-year-old. The big guys are getting paid. But according to the Associated Press, the average major league salary has fallen 6.4% since 2017. And the median salary is down 30% since the record high in 2015 that's just the reality of what we're dealing with. It's almost like these big contracts keep fans away from thinking, Oh, everyone must be making more and more money. When in reality, the average player is making less and less and less every single season. So you can understand why the players are reasonably upset asking for things to get them more paid. For example, universal DH adds 15 more jobs, 15 more salaries, but the owner's, even though it would make the game more fun. They're like, no, we don't want to pay that. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I mean, and look at like Mark Melanson. I know he's older, but Mark Melanson
2: just signed a two-year, what was it, $14 million 14, deal? Seventeen. But the crazy thing about Mark Melanson is that after a very, very good season in 2020, he only was able to sign a one year, $3 million deal. Yeah, It's even worse than,
1: you know, and that that his numbers are on par with somebody that should be making 12, 13 a year. Uh, so there's definitely no middle class. I think that's, that's the clear thing here is that we have, it's again, it's pretty interesting how you just have legitimate, massive, just wealth inequality in baseball. Uh, that it is a bit of an issue. I, I think that if you look at, the, the bottom line salary, that's something that I think that they could they could definitely help with is raising the league minimum it is a great start that I think nobody should have a problem with. You raise the league minimum, then the arbitration scaling off of that will be a little bit higher, too. So you're bumping the average arbitration through year one, through year two, year three. That will make a big difference. I think that's the easiest short term solution. I know We have the topic of like years of control. And all of those things. And I think Rob Manfred came out and said something pretty, pretty interesting today. And this was the quote from Manfred. He said the most negative reaction we have is when a player leaves in free agency, making that available earlier. We don't see that as a positive. So he's saying if you give small market teams or if you give players Yeah, uh, an earlier shot at free agency. So less years of control to teams, small market teams are going to lose their good players sooner. I think that's so backwards because you see what the Rays just did with Wander Franco. When they really want to keep their guy, they will make these deals pre-arb and get good value. The Marlins just did it with Sandy Alcantara. That's two of the smallest market teams in baseball. We saw the Braves do it with Acuna. We've seen the White Sox do it with Luis Robert. Like if they really want to do it, they can do it. I really don't think that this is a legitimate issue where you're losing star players to good teams if you cut a year back on the control. It happens anyways, and I don't think that's going to make much of a difference. It seems like he's enabling owners and teams to continue to follow this trend, which, of course, he's going to do because at the end of the day, he's not the commissioner of Major League Baseball. He is the representative
2: of the owners, and that's really what it is. I think another really interesting thing is that If owners were not making money, if they were not making money in baseball, then why are they still owning Major League Baseball teams? There have only been three, Mm. three MLB franchises that have been sold in the past 10 years, I think. And the Royals just sold for a million dollars. The Mets just sold for two and a half or billion, excuse me, billion dollars, billion, billion. And you're telling me that you're telling me if all these poor billionaires are losing their billions of dollars, they're they're not getting out of these positions. You're full of crap. You're Dude, absolutely some, full of crap. Somebody
1: looked at the Marlins and said, "Yeah, let me pay over a billion for that." Like G, Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter looked at the worst franchise in baseball, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe the Rockies too. <laughs> and they said, "Yeah, let's pay a billion for that for that franchise over in Little Havana that has no attendance, a terrible surrounding area, and mediocre team." Yeah,
0: let's sign up for it. Like that yeah. tells you, I think, everything you need to know. You want to make it even worse? Have you guys heard the new story from Odyssey Sports about I have not different balls? Oh, God. Oh, geez. Let me fuck you up for a second.
1: Yeah, we clowned <sighs> so, Pete
0: Alonzo for that one. I might owe Pete Alonzo an apology. So, it has come out, and I'm, I'm summarizing the story here, that the commissioner's office, the owners, they were using two different baseballs this year. One baseball was a little bit extra bouncy. Where'd they put those games? How about the Field of Dreams? For one, a lot of the high marquee games, maybe Yankees, Red Sox. Wait, so it wasn't the
1: Corn Sweat?
0: It wasn't, in fact, the Corn Sweat. Why were there so many home runs in that game? And then, for the lower marquee games, and what was quoted was a Mariners-Rangers game, they were using a debtor ball, in order to keep potential free agent stats lower while keeping TV ratings high for those marquee games. That's the uh, that's the alleged claim from the Odyssey. That's the alleged claim. And also there are more that each team and this doesn't even go back to the owners. Now this is a team thing. This is now on the MLBPA that each team has its own chemist and has been cooking together sticky stuff To provide to their pitchers and then in turn inviting free agents to join them to show what we can make you into increasing your spin rate, making you a better pitcher. We saw players fall off a cliff after they cracked down on it, but were they really cracking down on it? We don't know. Is this all factual? This is what we're hearing. i think
2: it's not a conspiracy theory i think it's something that could possibly be really real peter i think it's absolutely real um even if you can't confirm it i think it's absolutely real but to go back to the mlb changing out balls um, dr meredith wills who's an astrophysicist last year in 2020 compiled a ton of baseballs and did research she cut them open figured out the weights figured out how tightly the yarn was, you know, stretched and all this different stuff, right. To figure out, okay, is the MLB using different balls? And in fact, they were in the 2020 oh. regular season. They used different baseballs than they used in the 2020 postseason. They used more juice balls in the regular season, I think. And then they actually deadened in the baseballs for the postseason. I don't know why that is maybe to create closer games, whatever it may be ridiculous. So the MLB did that in 2020, and now they're doing it again in 2021. It's like, if we're not going to put a stop to this, what are they going to do in 2022? Now, they're, they're absolutely ruining the integrity of baseball by doing this. And then you're blaming the players saying you're using sticky stuff. You're an absolute criminal. And meanwhile, the MLB is doing it themselves. It's disgusting. <laughs> you know what I thought of anecdotally, too?
1: Do you remember that, that the, the UK series, the London series? where i think the scores were like 30 to 25 wasn't it wasn't yeah. it just ridiculous? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you know, they're like they're like these to 14 <laughs> they're like these british these british people they don't know much about baseball let's just give them fireworks yeah, and so they they, the give them, they give them they give them Titus the right bounciest hand. they give them the bounciest balls and said hey British people enjoy this Brits enjoy this shit you're giving you a hundred homers and and that's what they got like I don't think that's a coincidence you think of all the special games (laughs) there's just absolute moonshots in every special exhibition game or not even exhibition I guess the real games but every special occasion game there's moonshots and I I don't know if this is going to crack down on it now but we should be cribbing the overs uh, on the next special game. (laughs) Like every single time.
2: It's it's really funny. But hell yeah. (laughs) It's really funny. You bring that up because I saw on Twitter the other day, this guy put out a tweet that was like, we noticed something really weird with our model last season. And we stopped giving out over under bets because we just noticed that they weren't hitting. And it was just like something really wonky was happening. And then he goes, you know what it was? It was the baseball changing. Literally, the baseball changing game for game <laughs> screwed up their over under capping model, dude. Like this is like crazy. You,
1: you know what the score was? The score at the end of the first inning of this London game,
0: six to six. It was six to six, <laughs> Wait, who bro. Wait, who pitched? If I, if I, if I I'm. It was to Tanaka
1: versus Porcello. Like not aces, but these guys are. They weren't rolling out me and you out
0: there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even <laughs> Tanaka
1: <laughs> went oh, two thirds of an inning. Four hits, six earned runs. Porcello went one-third of an inning, five hits, six earned runs.
0: Imagine being a pitcher and knowing the balls, like you can feel it and you're like, oh, shit, I'm about to get shelled no matter what. They're <laughs> no gonna matter get what. The she- no matter what. And each pitcher is probably looking at each other and dug up being like, it's not going to be our day. It's not going to nope. be our day. <laughs> that is insane. Lord. So we can move on, I guess, to – an interesting deal because I don't know what Heim Bloom is doing. But what we do know Hunter Renfro is on his way to Milwaukee in exchange for Jackie Bradley Jr. and two prospects. Before I get into the Heim Bloom stuff with you, Colby, Aram, tell us a little bit about these prospects that the Red Sox are getting.
1: Yeah. You know, I think starting, I think the guy that they really wanted here was, was Benellis and uh, Benellis is what I was telling Colby. Like what I said in the chat last night is the Red Sox basically got another blaze Jordan, right? Like a, a super high upside bat with a wide range of outcomes. He's got crazy power, like plus plus raw power. But we don't know if he can if he can hit upper level pitching yet. He ate low A pitching, uh, but that's what you would expect a college guy to do. Uh, I'm not saying that it's 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 bad. It's good that he did that, so it's encouraging. But you know, there's still a lot to be sorted out. But I mean, a big power bat from the left side, and you know, they they are able to get somebody here that has 30 home run upside. That could it'll be really really interesting if they can develop him right that's a nice little piece for someone. If you, if you were really planning on swapping out Hunter Renfro anyways, and then they also get a really athletic prospect that is one of the fastest guys in the minors. And also, you know, is probably going to be that super utility type. Uh, I I find it interesting because the Red Sox had interest in John Birdie last year. uh, And that was somebody that they were looking at for some infield depth. And I feel like, uh, the other prospect that they get in this deal ends up being kind of like that John birdie type where he's mm-hmm. a plus runner can play all over super utility type. And that's exactly David Hamilton. That's exactly what I think he could be for them. So Hamilton's the high floor, Benellis is the high ceiling, low floor. And that's a good balanced return. I think for uh, what was a situation where you're not really expecting to get a
0: needle moving package or anything like that. And now let's talk about the major league players given because What I hate, and we were talking pre-recording, is that Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field, in Fenway, against the New York Yankees, is the greatest defender in MLB history. (laughs) Something turns on in his head, so I'm not very happy to see him back in center field. But Hunter Renfro is a pretty good player. I was surprised
2: that the Red Sox did that. So Colby, why did he do that? You know, it's an interesting deal. Um I was trying to think through it. One, I'll leave this off and we'll come back to it later. I think this move is purely going to lead to another move down the line. Either whether it's getting trade capital to go and get a trade for another premier outfielder or whether it's to get an outfielder in free agency. One guy I want to talk about later is Michael Conforto. But secondly, I think that um the one thing with Hunter Renfro, the big drawback for him is that He's the streakiest hitter alive. He's the streakiest hitter. Alive. Let, let me bring you through month by month in the 21 <laughs> 2021 season for Hunter Renfro. Like, this is crazy. In March, he had a 29 WRC plus. Then in May and June, 147, 136 WRC plus, he got hot. Then in July, 71 WRC plus cooled off. August, he gets on a roar again, 169 WRC plus moving into September. He finishes the year with a one ten WRC plus. Then Absolutely slumps for the playoffs, which yeah, I was going to say. Do the
1: ALCS, do the ALCS. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yep, sixty six WRC plus in the playoffs. So I think that left a really, really bad taste in a lot of fans, and and I think even in the front offices' uh, mind. The other problem with Hunter Renfro is we all, you know, we all have seen the videos of him just absolutely doing the the Giannis Cespedes just bomb throw from the outfield to get guys to the, the plate, which is the it's the sickest play in, in the league. Like I, I'm not going to lie, that's the sickest play ever. Um, but defensively route running and, you know, actually catching fly balls, the job out there, he's pretty poor. Um, he rated as a an even defender by defensive runs saved. He had zero defensive runs saved by outs above average. He had negative two. So he's an average defender out there, um, which, you know, I think that the Red Sox kind of need that defense out there. So that's a reason why they go and get a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr., who, by the way, cannot hit. He had a 35 WRC plus in 2021. He's a pitcher. Um, he hit 160. Plate and but he's still a, like arguably one of the best center fielders in the game 12 Agreed. defensive runs saved like the dude's just a beast out there in center field or wherever you put him right um, the weird thing with Jackie Bradley Jr at the plate last year is that he could not hit fastballs which is weird because Jackie Bradley's whole career has been based off of hitting fastballs like he's he gets absolutely diced up by sliders and curveballs and everything junk uh, always has but fastballs have been his saving grace last year though against fastballs, he only hit 248 wOBA, which is 15th worst against fastballs in all of baseball. And it's not even that he's whiffing on those fastballs, which he is, but kind of at like an even rate, like kind of standard rate. The problem is he's hitting 47% of those fastballs into the ground, which is fifth lowest, our fifth highest in the league. So he's just hitting everything on the ground, which is a struggle. I'm hoping that, um, you know, maybe a return to the Red Sox, where he's from, where he was drafted, came up with, um, can kind of be a resurgence for him. And and another guy I'd like to bring back is Kyle Schwarber to maybe help JBJ. Did it for Dahlbeck, maybe he can help. And that's the
0: thing with this Red Sox roster because, I mean, you know this better than most, Colby. They were the, one of the worst defensive teams in baseball last year, but yep. they can hit. I mean, you still got Bogarts. You still got Devers. You still got J.D. Martin. Like, you still have so much offense that sometimes that can offset. Yep the JBJ defense and center. And we know how important outfield defense is to teams these days. I mean, if you can save that extra base hit that could mean a win or a loss in any one of these games. So I actually do kind of like the deal. And when you're mentioning the fastball, that almost seems to me like he might bounce back because that seems weird. And it may have just been a down offensive year because he's not
2: that bad of a hitter. Yeah. So looking at 2017 to 2019, he produced a 90 WRC plus all three of those years, like so consistently below average, but like (laughs) below average that it produced valuable value, you know, play. He had two to two and a half war in all those years. And like, if that's what you're getting, that's perfect. I think the interesting thing that it opens up for the Red Sox. You know what Renfro's war was last year? Uh three something I would say they, they're not three. losing much in that in that department it's if he goes back to old too bad but I think that the interesting thing is it, is it opens up some versatility for the Red Sox um they'll move Kike over to second more now from center field which you know gets some really good defense over at second base now and then you can still keep Kike in center field when you put Jackie Bradley on the bench you know there's so many different lineups that the Red Sox can roll at you now and especially like late innings we can bring in Jackie Bradley as a defensive replacement i know it's a lot of money put the money aside in this whole conversation yeah. like just imagine it from we just got one of the best defenders in the league and you know it's exciting i don't think the Red Sox are done here agreed
1: yeah. So a couple things. Yeah, money aside, I like the move, right? Like you you take the worst arguably defensive team in baseball and you now bring into the fold one of the best defenders we've seen in, in decades in the outfield. I mean, that that alone is is a good move. It's a net positive. But when you're trying to make sense of it from a financial standpoint, You just have to hope that it just means the Red Sox are cruising over the luxury tax because he's expensive and Heim Bloom is footing the whole bill, which was a big surprise to me. On the flip side, I love the move for the Brewers. I think the Brewers must be must be thrilled. Not only do you get out from Jackie Bradley's contract, you get some much needed offensive help uh, that, you know, I think Renfro, you talk about the inconsistency. I could see him feasting in that Milwaukee ballpark. Uh, The defense should play up a little bit more in that park as well. And he's just a much needed bat for them. And you gave up. I mean, like we said, it's two solid prospects. But for the Brewers who are looking to compete next year again, they're totally fine with that. And their system's already weak as is. I love the move from a Brewer standpoint. I don't hate it from, from a Red Sox standpoint. The more we talk about it, it's just... The money, if, if it really comes down to money, like if the Red Sox say we're not going over the luxury tax, then I hate the move. But I, I doubt that that's going to happen because of the fact that they made this move. Uh, I, I do have my concerns that Bradley might not even be like remotely competitive to even the degree of last year. I mean, he was a sub 100 hitter against pitches 95 miles an hour and over, which you see a lot of in today's game. The Red Sox already have a guy like that in Bobby Dalbeck who little can't group. hit VLO. They just have multiple guys who can't hit VLO uh, in a game where it's all VLO. A little bit concerning. I love the defensive side of it. Like Colby said, though, if they're not done, which I think the, the assumption is that they're not done, it, it could make a lot of sense. It's just a lot of money for a fourth outfielder and late game replacement. That is uh, a bit hard to justify for me,
0: uh, but I'm sure there's a larger plan in place here. So let's speculate this larger plan. We think they're going to get a right fielder. I came out yesterday and this was just like a weird hunch. Just considering how weird this move is. I was like, I feel like the Red Sox are going to get even weirder and sign Seiya Suzuki in right field, but that's not a weird move because Seiya Suzuki could end up being a better player than maybe a Michael Conforto would Castellanos, maybe a different story because Castellanos is kind of a unreal hitter, but not the best defender. I wonder what the Red Sox want to do. Colby
2: speculate for me um yeah i think seya suzuki is a, an interesting and intriguing option for the red sox i don't think that's a haim bloom guy though i think it's a guy that he's going to shy away from that i don't think the red sox want to buy a guy that hasn't seen him will be pitching that we haven't mm-hmm. seen him you know be proven here yet um so i don't think that's like the the most risk averse move and i think that's what haim often kind of goes for. I think the most risk-averse move is Michael Conforto. Um, If you look at Michael Conforto from 2017 to 2020, he produced 13.3 war. That's 27th in baseball over that span. And yeah, he had a down year in 2021, only a 322 Woba, but he had a 352 WOBA, which really to me makes me think that like. Balls weren't dropping his way. And and I don't think really anything changed for Conforto at the plate last year. I think it's just like, you know, oh, a few doubles in the gap get caught by Jackie Bradley Jr. Maybe like it's things like that that can like sway a whole season. Um, So I would absolutely love. I don't know what Conforto is looking for right now because of because of that down year. If he wants to come to the Red Sox on a one year, $25 million deal, prove it deal, and then go get that bag in his age 29 season after this season. That would be awesome. And if we want to sign him to a three- to four-year deal, five-year deal, let's go do it. I I love Michael Conforto, and I think he is the definition of consistently like really, really good. This guy's been good for a long time, and one bad year is not going to change that for me. I agree. I just
0: think the Mets had a really bad year offensively just as a team. I mean, you yeah. just go around the diamond. It was contagious. It was contagious. Lindor, it was it was contagious. Was contagious. Absolutely. Yeah. Francisco Lindor. Um, you think about, I don't even think Brandon. McNeil. Oh, I I was going to mention McNeil, but I was like, even a guy like Brandon Nimmo, I don't think had the same exact season. Guys were just getting hurt. They couldn't build momentum. Javier Baez comes and he's kind of the only hitter that kind of broke out a little bit. And doesn't that kind of say something about this Mets team, considering he came over from the Cubs and just kind of did the opposite while the other players in the Mets lineup struggled. So I agree. I really like Michael Conforto going into the season, but I kind of have him going to the White Sox, but I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the Red Sox either.
1: Well, what I like about this, too, is is there was a really good piece that uh, Ryan Finkelstein put out over on JustBaseball.com about a week or so back about, uh, you know, Michael Conforto is a client of Scott Boris and and Boris, what he did with Castellanos and what he's done a couple of times in the past is go bandbox shopping, which is, you know, you have a player off a down year. You put him in a really f- hitter friendly environment in a deal that maybe it's a one year show me deal. Maybe it's like Castellanos' deal, it was five years, but had an opt out after a couple seasons. That might be what Conforto is looking for. And if you look at Baseball Savant's Park Factor, Fenway Park is the second most hitter friendly environment. Now, I don't know if it's that hitter friendly. You can kind of toss it up, but regardless, it is one of the more hitter friendly environments in baseball. And yes. Conforto will want to play there, I think, uh, as, as a bounce back opportunity, especially because I bet Conforto saying the same thing Colby said. Man, I could have been better this year, but I had some bad luck. And I'm sure he would love to go to a place where a lot of those things, a lot of those balls that didn't fall will end up falling and or end up leaving the yard. And that's why I think Red Sox makes a ton of sense. White Sox, I could totally see too. Uh, But it, it would make sense to me there. He seems like the perfect candidate to head over to Boston. And remember, too, he's going to be in a much better lineup top to bottom. Uh, oh, he yeah. can hit in the seven hole or the six hole or wherever he's, he prefers. He has protection. He's going to have a lot of opportunities with runners on base. It, it seems like it's just going to be a much better change of scenery, better situation. And Conforto would be one of our
0: breakout candidates, I think, if he ends up and, in in Boston. And, and also think about it. Michael Conforto hits right-handed pitching better than left-handed pitching who are the two best left-handed pitchers in the AL East. It's not Robbie Ray anymore. He's gone and Chris sales on the Red Sox. So there's a lot of right-handed pitching that he can probably mash up. I mean, and Ryu, like that's another one of these lefties that he's probably going to not have that too much trouble against. I like the move to the Red Sox. I think that actually would work. Peter, can I give a hot take real quick?
2: Uh, you know, I want, yes, obviously every time I, I want it. I would love to have Michael Conforto on the Red Sox more than I would love to have Kyle
0: Schwarber on the Red Sox. That's not a hot take at all. I think that's a good take. I would, too.
2: We have Tristan Casas right there, just sitting in the minor leagues, ready to come up. And, you know, obviously, you can't expect him to be insane when he comes up, but he's right there. He's right there. And you can trade for a first baseman, maybe, or just sign somebody cheap to, like, hold down that spot while Casas comes up. I think that's the move. Get somebody that actually can play outfield defense, at least league average. Like Conforto is probably a little bit league, little bit above league average in right field. Just go get Conforto. I'm
0: with it. I don't hate it. And another move that may not make headlines, but I think it matters, and I think we should talk about it. The Orioles signed Jordan Lyles to a seven-year or seven-year, one-year, seven million dollar deal. You know, I mean. It, it's, he's a baseball player, and he went to a baseball team. Let's talk about it. Um, he had one of the worst CRA's in baseball, and the Orioles are trying to piece together a um,
1: a last location. place team.
0: I'm trying to be nice. I, what do they do? I don't know. I mean, yeah, Jordan Lyles. I mean, I know who I'm fading week one. That's all I got to say. <laughs>
2: are we fading Jordan Lyles? Oh, fade Jordan Lyles. You fade, know what? I can't just... make sense of. Go ahead, Corey go ahead. Kluber. Corey Kluber got eight million dollars. Yeah, is, Jordan Lyles so got seven
1: Rays. million. What what's going on here? Yeah, that is a good point. What
0: what the fuck? Andrew <laughs> Heady got eight eight million. Andrew Heady and Corey Kluber got the same amount of money this offseason Michael Walker got seven. What is going on? Yeah, it's like that whole group. Then guys, but honestly, I mean Colby, Red Sox fan. Corey Kluber going to the Rays. He might win a Cy Young next year. That's uh, how good that, I think uh, the Rays are developing. Like they'll turn him into something.
2: They're always just like, they get the Charlie Morton. They get him. Like, it's just going to happen. You know, he's going to throw at least another no hitter next year. That's a lock. That's a lock. Over a half no hitter for Corey Kluber. I wonder what that line is.
0: <laughs> so, Jordan Lyles, Woba allowed on the fastball,
1: 412, slider, 286, curveball, 358,
0: sinker, 338, and cutter, 428. You're an all star against him. An all-star, like a perennial all-star against yeah. Jordan Lyles.
1: You're, you're Aaron Judge. Everyone is Aaron Judge against Jordan Lyles, and and he got the same amount as Corey Kluber and some of the other guys that <laughs> that we mentioned. It, that is just unbelievable to me. It, it's and here's the thing though: is this curveball has actually got like a good movement profile, and I guess that's what his agent was was like. Well, just just imagine what you can do with this curveball. <laughs> but with the Orioles, man, like. Did you talk about it, Peter. Like we fade their pitching, not gambling advice, all the time. Like it's all the time. It, it's yeah, crazy. The, time. the other one that surprised me in terms of affordability, though, dude, was was uh, Chris Taylor. I thought he would get more than that.
0: Yeah, I thought I, I, he. I don't mean to to my own horn. I did predict him four years, sixty-eight million to the Dodgers, and he sent a four-year, sixty-million-dollar deal with an option for a fifth up to seventy-three million. I'm feeling kind of hot right now.
2: <laughs> to yeah. me, that's just like the How Chris Taylor. I am
0: so going happy in football. LA saints though. Are saints going to cover? No, but the public's on the Cowboys arm. Like he <laughs> just switched like, to football mode. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: what Go were you, you saying? Kobe about Chris Taylor.
0: The the NFL
2: oh, I was ever. saying that he just must be so happy in LA. The only, oh, the only yeah. way he signs that deal is like, I love LA. I love this team. I want this team to spend money on my buddy, Trey Turner next year. Let's do it. I'm happy. 60 million. I'm in. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, go ahead. He could have been the man. He could have been the man somewhere else. He he really could have. And it seemed like every team was in on him, but nobody was really was really pushing the the limit for him. I think nobody was really willing to to bet on him turning into that focal piece of your team. And we like him. I know everybody thinks he's a really good player, but maybe maybe that's true. Maybe he is just a really good player, and he's not the the all star that you put in the middle of your lineup and pay $75 million. I mean, that's what Starling Marte is more of, I think. So I think that's kind of what the vibe was. And I think it put things in perspective a little bit, but I think what it, what it also put in perspective is kids be versatile, play all over because look how many teams were lining up for Chris Taylor and look how many chances Chris Taylor has gotten. I mean, he wasn't great out of the gate. He was terrible with the Mariners in the beginning. I mean, you play a lot of positions, you afford yourself opportunity and he figured it out at the plate and now he's, he was one of the most coveted players on the market. And now that's pretty cool. So I'm glad, I'm glad Chris Taylor got his bag and I'm glad he gets to stay in LA because I I do like him out there. It's, it's annoying that LA is loaded, but
0: Chris Taylor is kind of a Dodger guy. I agree. And we, uh, Jack and I talked about this on yesterday's pod about Marcus Stroman signing with the Chicago Cubs three years, 71 million. We weren't able to talk about the contract details because those came out afterwards. Um, He's going to make 25 million in next year. And the year after that with a option for 21 million, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah. That's 50 plus 21 equals 71 math guy over here. (laughs) Analytics analytics. (laughs) Woba. I, Don't understand the move, but Arm, you made a good tweet considering it may not be a good move in hindsight right now, but if the Cubs are going to make more moves, Jed Hoyer already came out. He said that they were going to spend money in Colby. There's a shortstop on the market who uh, is considering Chicago.
2: I have a tweet here from Mike Rodriguez. Uh, He's an MLB insider journalist with Univision. He said (laughs) like that. Carlos Correa. Cubs and Yankees are the two most likely to sign Correa because they've been the most involved and that Correa called Javi Baez to ask him how the organization treated him. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. What, what kind of validity do you guys put
0: to that? Univision? I, now I'm not shocked about anything the Cubs do. I feel like the Cubs have just... Because I thought I talked about it yesterday. I thought they would be rebuilding arm. We've talked about it, too. They they got a load of 18 year olds and 19 year olds. But yet maybe they see a window here if they get a Carlos Correa. But I still don't think I mean, even if they sign Carlos Correa and now they have Marcus Stroman. Do you are they competing still? No, um, I still don't think they're that great. But
1: I do think they're going to go for it now, especially after seeing the contract structure is There's an opt-out after two years for Marcus Stroman. And to me, that's kind of the Cubs saying look, we are telling you we're going to go for it, but if it doesn't go well and, or we don't fulfill our promise, you can leave in two years. And I think that's what he wanted. He's like, okay, I believe you, but I still want this escape route. And they gave him the escape route. And now they have two years to kind of convince Stroman to to opt into that third year, which is, it's an affordable third year as well. I mean, that's that contract that gave an a plus in the article I'm going to be putting out. um, It'll be out by the time people are listening to this podcast, which is just giving grades to each of the big free agent signings. I give it an A-plus even though it doesn't totally make sense for the Cubs just because of what you're getting value-wise. And if they can convince him to stay on $21 million on the third-year option, uh, that's a huge bonus. I'm guessing that they're betting on themselves to to prove to Stroman that they're trying to win. What I do like is, yes, they got a bunch of 18-year-olds. They also got Nick Madrigal. Uh, so that's somebody that helps them next year and is a really high-floor guy that can, can be in the front of your lineup. Um, Brennan Davis, we can't rely on him. That's not a guy you're going to make a contender, but he could be – big league ready at some point next year. I think they make another move or two. They need pitching help, but they're going for it in the next two years, I guess. It's good for baseball. I I just don't totally see their path to competitiveness yet.
0: Can I say one thing about Brennan Davis? Uh, This is a question for the both of you. I mean, with service time manipulation, we've seen it from the Cubs before with the Chris Bryant. Do you think that they would pull up Brennan Davis? Because he's still, what, 21, 22 years old, even if he's raking in AAA and they feel like they have a chance. Do you think Brennan Davis gets pulled up? Are they just going to be like, you know what? We're going to do the same thing that we did with Chris Bryant. I think I middle know. of the season. I think I think they'll do they'll think do it so? middle of the season. Yeah. Like they'll they'll get that
1: one more year now uh and bring him up cuz it'd be hard to justify keeping him down the entire year. I think you can justify getting yourself the one extra year of control by keeping him down for the first quarter of the season and then at that point, you know, bring him up get Chicago fans excited about something and they make one or two other moves. It's a decent lineup. I I just, the pitching, the pitching, even with Stroman doesn't make sense to me.
2: Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me either. I, I really think that the Stroman deal is one of those deals. That's like, we still have to get people to come to Wrigley field and watch these baseball games at least every few days. Um, So we're going to sign Marcus Stroman for two years and Marcus Stroman's like, I'm happy with this because I can go pitch my butt off for the Cubs and then enter at age 32 and kind of be in line for another, you know, three to four year deal. That's probably going to be pretty good because honestly, Marcus Stroman is the definition of consistency as a pitcher. And I don't really see him not producing these next two seasons. And then there's the other point. Yeah. If they go get Correa, if they go get a few more pieces and Brennan Davis comes up and magical comes back and all goes, right. Okay. Maybe we can go for the playoffs, but I really think it's also a move to just invest in Stroman, give him a place to earn another contract and we get fans in the stands. I'd like to end the pod with speculating about Freddie Freeman, because I think it's the most
0: interesting player in baseball right now. The fact that you could be the face of a franchise, a Chipper Jones esque player for the Braves. And he's only looking for six years, $180 million. That's similar to a Marcus Semyon deal, a Javier Baez deal. And he's better than those two players. I'm willing to say that right now. What? are the Braves doing? Are they waiting till after the deadline? I guess, but what's the reasoning behind it if you knew that you're going to bring him back? And then we hear, well, Max Muncy tore his UCL. The Dodgers, those hammers, are looking for a free agent. The New York Yankees, they need a first baseman. So we just keep hearing Freddie Freeman trending all over Twitter And I'm like, I'm even a Yankee fan. I don't want Freddie Freeman. He should just be a brave. Do you guys think there's any validity
2: to Freddie Freeman actually leaving? I do now. I didn't think it was a possibility at all during the season going to the playoffs. They won the World Series. I thought for sure he was going to sign a deal just like Strasburg right after the World Series. Like, why would you not sign that guy right after you win a World Series and you go, you just won us World Series Here is $200 million. Why not? You're the man. Like, you're the absolute man. We love you. I don't get that. Take the momentum of winning. Make the fans happy. Make your team happy because Freddie Freeman is an absolute beast. Like, when does that guy ever produce less than a 135, 140 WRC plus? I don't think he's ever. I don't think ever. So, it makes no sense to me. I I don't understand.
1: I said this on the last episode I was on for, you know, what's the one thing you could do to just, Kill the vibe after you won a World Series. And it's to let your franchise piece really, like Peter said, I mean, after after Chipper Jones, he's the guy. Like he's, he's the, the face of the Braves and you know, will be looked at as the face of the Braves, even if he departs here. Like when we look back at Freddie Freeman. When he goes into the Hall of Fame, potentially, like he goes into the Hall of Brave, even if he leaves. Like this is just the craziest thing to me. I I, On the editorial side, just to like put it in perspective of how little and this is probably just me being naive, I guess. I was like, let's not even waste time doing a free agent preview on Freddie Freeman. Like, why would we do that? Let's 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 save the time and go elsewhere. And here we are where there's several players that have signed deals larger than he's going to sign. And Freddie Freeman's still out here in the open market. To me, it's bad for the game in general, uh, for him to go to the Yankees or the Dodgers. And this is nothing about me Great. having an
0: issue with the Yankees. No, no, Dodgers I'm, I'm a Yankee fan. I agree. I literally shouldn't just not go. It's, it, he's a brave. He is
1: one of the few career guys with the same team. He's already been there through the hardest times to be there. Like, just give the guy his deal. It's going to age well, too. He's a first baseman. And within the next six years, I would assume, I, mean, I think it's going to be next year, they're going to have a universal DH. And if that's the case, like Freddie Freeman will age like fine wine and even if he doesn't if the last two years are disastrous who gives a shit look at the deal that the lakers gave kobe Bryant on the way out like that that was a detrimental deal to the franchise this won't be that even in the worst case like let this guy retire in atlanta he's not asking for much as far as we know and i think it's just ridiculous disrespectful and stupid
2: He
0: have won, won an Acuna. mvp in 2020 Then he won a World Series in 2021. Give the man his money. They have Ronald Acuna.
2: Oh, yeah. Go ahead. They have Ronald Acuna. I don't think you need to say anything but that. They have Ronald Acuna. He's a top five baseball player. Why are you not surrounding him with one veteran leadership? The guy is one of the masters of hitting, like two strike hitting, all of it. Freddie Freeman knows it. And you're gonna let a guy that's not only a great hitter but a great leader and a great guy in the clubhouse go? Oh, I'm angry about
0: it. You got me to fine. that point, Colby. I mean, uh, like Ronald Acuna Jr. is signed an eight-year, hundred million-dollar deal. Yeah, he's not making much money. Ozzie Albie's another making guy nothing. not making much money. Dansby's not making that much money yet. Austin Riley's not making that much money yet. What is your Atlanta? You just won a World Series. I know money has been just piling into that franchise since the title. What is holding you back? And that's the question we hope is answered in the next couple months, but we're going to keep you tuned in. We're still going to be podcasting. We're still going to be talking. We're actually going to be breaking into some hall of fame type voting stuff. We also have a very awesome interview for you coming out on Tuesday with the Lieutenant governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan. He's talking about the move from Atlanta to Colorado, the all-star game moving. He's talking about the lockout. He's talking about his experience in minor league baseball. He was drafted by the Marlins in the 40 or the 69th round. (laughs) Hey, it still counts. He was a good baseball That's player crazy. and it was a fantastic interview. I'm excited for you all to listen to that. That's Colby underscore Olson three on Twitter. That's you got it. Arm late eight. You can use code hot stove for 15% off just baseball merch. You can find those links in the description. Colby's wearing his just baseball hoodie right now looking fresh arms got his just baseball hat on. I don't know why I'm not wearing merch right now. It's kind of cold. It's it's foggy in Santa Barbara since I came back. There's been no sun.
2: Peter's repping the 315 right now. Shout out to Syracuse. Shout out, Shout out to Syracuse basketball, getting a huge win against Indiana. Dude, Stop. we sat Stop. rolling. I'm so Stop. over this. Stop. I'm so over this team. <laughs> I, I said, I mean, before we end the pod,
0: is this the worst Syracuse basketball team we've seen since we were freshmen? Yes. Since we entered Syracuse University.
2: Yeah, I have faith. Still, I have faith in this in team. I have faith winning, like in a, winning, going to the
0: March I Madness. We have
2: some young guys. I think they're going to be coached up. I think once we cool. enter conference play, I think we're going to be stronger.
0: I'm so pissed.
2: cut. Cut the episode. Cut. Thank you, buddy. it Q's.
1: <laughs>